Well, I heard a tale once of this door-to-door salesman who, when he was at the top of his game, basically outsold all his competition and wasn't even close. He, he was the best of the best, closing hundreds of sales month after month after month. And, and the reason he was so successful really had nothing to do with the the quality of the, the merchandise that he was peddling, but it had, it had everything to do with this man's sales pitch. You see, he, he would begin every sale by saying this, let me show you something several of your neighbors said you couldn't afford. <laughs> you see, pride is a powerful thing. And a prideful heart can cause a man to do things that he wouldn't normally do, like buying merchandise that he doesn't need. You see, what, 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 this, what this salesman, what he was selling, it, it wasn't really a product, was it? What he was selling was, was greatness. He knew that deep down at, at the root of all of our hearts is this desire to be noticed, this desire to be seen as successful, to have the favor of the people around you. And so no matter what he was peddling, he, he set up his product as this status symbol because he knew that a, that a prideful heart would eventually win out. It's, it's a prideful heart that will play a significant role in our text for today. We, for we will be looking at a man named Simon, a Samaritan who was known to be great among his people. And yet when the good news of Jesus Christ came to his city, the, the greatness of this man began to diminish. No longer was he seen as valuable. Let's, let's look at our text. Let's see how this plays out. Look at, look at Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that, that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. 
You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Thus ends our reading of the two-edged sword that is God's piercing word. May all who hear it find that they have been humbled by its truth. We have now been working our way through this book of Acts for over four months now. And in, in this sh- relatively short amount of time, we, we have seen how God has providentially worked to grow his church. And this is particularly true in, in what we have seen recently. For, for we had just witnessed the stoning of Stephen. You remember that? And how, and how the enemies of Christ had, had now become emboldened by this act, actually. The persecution grew after, stone, after Stephen was stoned. The church was under duress. Families were being dragged from their homes and put into prisons simply due to their loyalty to Christ. And as the, as the pressure grew, many of these Christians, they, they fled the city. They fled from Jerusalem and went into the, the different villages of both Judea and Samaria to find safety. And yet this was all a part of God's plan. For, for he had used this persecution in order to position his church for the spread of the gospel. I mean, what was it that, that Jesus had told his disciples before he ascended into heaven? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And this is exactly what we're seeing here in chapter 8, is it not? As the persecution grew, the church was being spread out. Jerusalem had been reached, and now God's kingdom would have to expand outward. And that expansion went into the regions of both Judea and Samaria. In fact, it was just last week that we saw specifically how, how, how God had used this man named Philip to bring the message of Christ to the, to the Samaritans. How he had proclaimed the gospel and performed signs and wonders demonstrating that God has not limited his kingdom to the Jewish people alone. Now, Luke doesn't give us an exact location of Philip's ministry, but it's just said it's in the region of Samaria, a land whose people were among the lost sheep of Israel. You see, the, the, the Samaritans, they, they were descendants from the, the tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel. Those, those tribes that had broke, broken off from the, from the line of David and eventually were conquered by the Assyrians. And while many of them were killed by the Assyrians and many of them were captured and taken captive, 
there was a remnant that was left in the land. And, and it was this remnant that ended up intermarrying with foreigners. Actually, with people who were planted there by the Assyrians. And so while these Samaritans did have Jewish blood, their, their blood wasn't pure, right? It was intermixed with, with Gentile blood. And along with the intermixing of their blood came an intermixing of cultures and beliefs. For while the Samaritans say they did in their own way worship the one true God at, at Mount Gerizim, they, they also incorporated pagan practices into that worship. And so it was not uncommon to see things that were forbidden in God's word being implemented by these Samaritans. And we see this practice being epitomized by this man named Simon, do we not? Look, look once again at verses 9 through 11. But there, there was this man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city. And amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. And so here we are introduced to this man named Simon, who, who, this one who was a magician, and considered a great man among the people of Samaria. In fact, the way, the way that Luke words this verse, it would seem that this term great was actually a, a title that Simon used. This man is the power of God that is called great. How would you like that title? And the reason he could claim such a title was because well, let's be honest, he had tapped into the dark powers of this world, right? In order to perform signs and wonders, in order to amaze the people. And so the people revered him and claimed that his greatness came from, from God. Again, we see this intermixing, do we not, of the, of the worship of the one true God along with the pagan practices of our world. And yet we, we, we shouldn't be surprised by this. For, for Jesus had warned his disciples of people exactly like Simon. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 23 and 24. It says this, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is a Christ, or, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise, and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. In many ways, this Simon was a false Christ. For, for he claimed to be from God. And yet the signs and the wonders that he performed were of worldly origin. He delved into the dark arts of witchcraft and sorcery. We see similar things today, do we not? Those who claim to have the power of God, but in reality are, are, are tapping into the, the dark powers of our world. Think, think of someone like Benny Hinn. 
I mean, here is this man who, who claims to, to follow Jesus, but, but he preaches a false gospel leading many astray. And yet at the same time, he, he's able to perform signs and, and wonders for his audience. He, he amazes his crowd through what he claims to be the power of God. And yet this is all done for the sake of his own glory. For, for he puts himself forward as this, as this great man of God. And, and he, let's be honest, he's made a fortune doing it. And yet so many people are drawn to him. Why? Why would that be the case? I think part of the reason is because there are many people out there that just lack discernment. They lack a thorough understanding of what the scripture truly says. And thus they don't realize that this man has truly tapped into the dark powers of this world. And so they are like these Samaritans who, who had intermixed the truth with lies. But, but for those who have discernment, the, for those who understand the word of God as well as the truth of the gospel message, the, the, the false teaching of a man like Benny Hinn can be easy to spot, right? Yes, he is a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, but he, he dresses himself sloppily and not hiding his claws or his fangs very well. And yet there are other forces in this world that are more subtle, that are more deceptive. They are those who, who, who claim to be Christian, yet have somehow maintained the applause of our world. And that's because they, they've learned how to sell the, the world's ideals, all while packaging them in biblical language. Thus they label their teaching as Christian in order to deceive people. They've learned to twist God's word for their own nefarious purposes. And by doing so, they've made a name for themselves, being both loved by the world and being loved by many Christians who have fallen into their trap. I think of men like Tony Campolo or Rob Bell, men like Jim Wallace or Brian McLaren, Men who have, who have tried to use God's word to support the sinful ways of our world. Calling what is good evil and what is evil good. And unfortunately they have convinced many within the visible church. But it's not just men who are deceiving people out there. For there are, there are also many women who, who claim to be faithful to God's word. And yet, just like their male counterparts, they, they are peddling worldly ideologies. Two who come to mind are, are, are Beth Moore and Jen Hatmaker. They, they are praised and lauded by many, and yet the teaching they bring forth, while it may taste like honey, is, is really a venomous poison. I don't even want to know how many women these two alone have influenced. But, but why do they do it? Why... If they claim to be Christians, then why do they cave to the, the pressures of our world? Now, I can't look into their hearts, but if I were to guess, I would, I would say that they are driven by this desire of their own greatness. And in order to be great in our world today, you need to be liked, right? You, you need to survive our cancel culture. 
And so they straddle the fence, wanting to sound Christian while spouting worldly beliefs. In many ways, these teachers who claim to speak God's word are, are like our friend Simon, right? This man who was out to win the favor of men and not the favor of God. And Simon was good at it, was he not? What does Luke tell us? He said that all the people paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest. And what did they call him? This man is the power of God that is called great. He was good at this. It's what he did. And yet when Philip came to town proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, the Samaritans quickly discovered what true greatness is. And suddenly the Simon no longer seemed all that special. Look, look at verse Look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Here, here we see that when Philip arrived, the, the, the tides had turned, did they not? For now the true message of salvation had come to these people. And this message was demonstrated to be authentic through the signs and wonders that, that Philip performed. Signs and wonders that put to shame the magic of this man named Simon. For the power that was flowing through Philip had no earthly origin. Rather, it was a power that came from above. For Philip was filled with the Holy Spirit. And people were, were, were being genuinely healed. Demons were being truly cast out. In other words, God was making it apparent to these Samaritans that, that the true message of salvation was, was in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news that Philip preached. And what was that message that he preached? That Jesus is the Messiah. That, that he died for their sins and that he rose from the dead. And that he is now ruling at the right hand of God. And that any who turn from their wicked ways, including this magic, this magic that they used to run to, any who turn from their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone, well, they will find entrance into God's kingdom. And that's because Jesus is the Messiah. He, he is the one who has authority over all things. And that's why these signs and wonders were possible, is it not? Because he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And there is no earthly power that can overcome his will. And it was through this, Philip, that Christ was demonstrating what true greatness is. And this message is for you. And this message is for me. This message is for all who are dead in their trespasses and sins. For all who need to be saved. Turn from your unbelief. Turn, turn from your sinful ways and trust in this Jesus. For, for he truly is your only hope. Put not your faith in your own greatness, nor in the greatness of men. Trust in Jesus Christ, the only one who has true authority. 
Well, the gospel had arrived in Samaria. And with the arrival of the gospel came the arrival of the kingdom. And for these Samaritans, that, that meant a turning away from the things of this world and a turning towards Christ. For what does Luke tell us? But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. In other words, they now had faith in their Savior. They now had faith in Jesus. And this faith had caused them to repent, to reject their old ways. And this would have been bad news for this Simon the sorcerer, except for one thing. Look, look at verse 13. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Even Simon himself believed. Simon had come to believe in this Jesus. And just like all the others, he too was baptized. Think about this. I mean, think about how dramatic this is. This man was a magician. Sorcery was his profession. And he was good at it too. What was he known as? The power of God that is called great. And remember, all the people paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. And yet here he was, a baptized follower of Jesus Christ. He had discarded his former ways. And he was now pursuing the king of kings. No longer did he seek the dark powers of this world, for he, for he had renounced the darkness and was now living in the light. And this is the exact thing that we should be praying for with the so-called Christian leaders of today, is it not? that they would leave behind the powers of darkness and submit themselves fully to Jesus Christ. A lot of times we can sit there in judgment over these false teachers, thinking that we've got it all together, right? How often do we pray for their souls? How often do we desire that Christ would come to them and reveal his truth to them, change their hearts. Let's continue on. Look at, look at verses 14 through 16. Now, now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Luke now in, informs us that the, the, the church in Jerusalem had received word that the gospel is now having an impact in Samaria, just as Jesus had promised, right? And so they sent both Peter and John to come and pray for these Samaritans. But why? Because they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. 
Is there anyone else in this room that's confused by this verse? What, what is going on here? How, how can these people be believers if they have not yet received the Holy Spirit? And how would they even know that whether or not they had received the Spirit? Right? I mean, think about that. Unless you have some type of charismatic theology, that, that's not a question that we typically think about in the church today, is it? So what's going on here? What's going on is, is something that was unique to the early church. Let me explain. Think, think back to the day of Pentecost, right? What were the signs that the Holy Spirit had come? There was the sound of the rushing wind. There were the, the flaming tongues that rested above the heads of the disciples. And then these disciples, what did they do? They began speaking other languages. Languages they did not know. And so there were three signs on that day alone. And these signs were significant for the early church. For, for it was a demonstration to them that Christ truly was enthroned in heaven. And not only was he enthroned in heaven, but, but he had now included them into his kingdom. And, and so these signs gave the people of God both the, the confidence in, know, in knowing that Jesus was on his throne and the comfort that comes with being a citizen of his kingdom. And yet with these Samaritans, there, there was no sign. Not one. And this was not typical for, for, for the experience of this early church. So, so what was going on? Did, did God not count them worthy enough to, to enter into his kingdom? Per, perhaps salvation truly was only for the Jews. That, that, that it only belonged to those who come from a pure bloodline. To those who, who had not intermixed with, other, with the Gentiles. Who had not intermixed their beliefs with the things of this world. Here's what you need to understand. Luke is making note of this incident for a particular reason. Yes, these, were, these conversions were unusual in the fact that there were no obvious signs of the Holy Spirit's presence. And yet these Samaritans truly were believers in Jesus Christ. But there was a reason behind the lack of signs. And it wouldn't be until Peter and John had arrived that they would see the reason why. Let's, let's look at what happened when the apostles came to town. Look at, look at verse 17. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Here, here we finally see the reception of the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands. But why? Why, why this delay? Why, why wait for the apostles to come to lay their hands upon them? What we have to remember is that, is that what Jesus was doing when he came to dwell among us was that he was establishing his kingdom. And yet before Christ came, came the, the kingdom was, 
predominantly traced through the ancestry of Jacob, right? Through the 12 tribes of Israel. And while there were cases within the Old Testament of, of Gentiles coming into the fold, these were few and far between, and they had to be established through the practice of circumcision as well as ritualistic cleansings. But remember, these Samaritans, they were of mixed blood, right? Yes, they were, they were distantly sons of Jacob, but to the Jews, they, they were kind of viewed as half-breeds, right? And so could they really be included into the kingdom? Here's what I think is going on here. I think God was withholding his spirit for a time in order to make a statement. He, he wanted to make it abundantly clear to the whole church that it was not just those of pure Jewish blood who could find entrance into his kingdom. He wanted the apostles to be present for when this happened. You see, as we go through the book of Acts, what we're going to see is we're going to see the gospel being proclaimed throughout the world, right? And yet there are a few critical moments where, where God will make a public display informing everyone involved that his kingdom was expanding. Expanding to, to people groups who were outside of Israel. The Samaritans being one of those people groups. And so in a sense, each of these groups, they're going to have their own Pentecost moment. And this is what we see, we'll see as we continue through this book. Every time a new group would be included into the fold, God would demonstrate to his church in a tangible way that his kingdom was not limited to the Jewish people. And so while this wasn't normative in salvation, it was crucial. Crucial to the understanding of the kingdom and crucial to the understanding of who belonged. God was saying not only to these apostles, but to the Samaritans as well, that the Samaritans are also sons and daughters of the kingdom. So what did this look like? I mean, how did they know that when Peter and John laid their hands upon them that, the, that they had suddenly received the Holy Spirit? Well, we're not exactly sure, right? Luke doesn't tell us. But, but it must have been some sort of, of either visible or audible manifestation that, that would have let everybody around know that the Holy Spirit had arrived and that these Samaritans had been included in God's plan. It was probably something similar to the day of Pentecost. Maybe there was a rushing wind. Maybe people started speaking other languages. I don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. But something happened, and everybody knew that the Holy Spirit was present. Which brings us back to Simon, right? For, for when this gift was given, something stirred within this man's heart, arousing once again his sinful flesh. Look at, look at verses 18 and 19. Now when Simon saw the, that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hand, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, 
so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And so here we, we see the, the outward expression of Simon's inward desire. And his desire was to be great again. I mean, I mean think about it. This man had, had for so long been known as the power of God that is called great. And yet with the coming of Philip and with his own conversion, it seemed like as if God had taken away all of his greatness in order that he might submit himself to Christ. And while he did leave behind his, his occult practices, he still burned with that inner desire to be someone great. To have the ear of the people. Now in my research of this passage, I discovered that there are a variety of opinions concerning whether Simon's conversion was genuine or not. And there are quite a few theologians and pastors out there who, who claim that this man never truly was a believer. That, that a true Christian would never act the way that this man did. I'm of a different view. I, I think it's not fitting of us to be critical towards Simon in this way, lest we think too highly of ourselves. After all, this is not what Luke has recorded for us in this passage, is it? I mean, Luke told us that, that Simon believed and that he was baptized, that, that he had formerly practice magic. He had left that behind. Simon was a true believer, and yet he still battled with his sinful nature. And, and let's be honest, that, that is the truth of for every Christian that we've ever met, is it not? It's the truth for me. It's the truth for you. I mean, we all still struggle with sin, do we not? Plus, we also have to remember that, that Simon was a very, very young Christian at that moment. I, I mean, how much time had really passed? A month? Had it even been a week? You know, God was still working on this man's heart. And yet now this, this temptation from his former way of life had suddenly resurfaced. And, and why? Because he saw the true power of God coming through the hands of these apostles, and he desired it for himself. And so what did he do? He offered them money. Give me that power so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So what did Simon want? Yet, Yes, he wanted he wanted this power, but what, what did he really want? You see, the power is only a means to an end, is it not? For what Simon truly wanted was a return of his status. He, he wanted to be great again. I, 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 we talked about this morning, but I have met plenty of Christians who, who struggle with this desire to be great, including yours truly, Right? In fact, each and every Sunday, I, I, I need to check myself. You know, why, 
am I up here preaching? Is it to boost my own ego? To gain favor with all of you? Or is it to benefit you? You know? To give glory to God. You see, not only is Simon's sin common to man, but it's, it's common within the church as well. And this, this is why Peter didn't hesitate to rebuke this man. And he did it swiftly and harshly. Look at, look at verses 20 and through 23. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Ouch. And these are strong words that were, that were given to this Simon. But they were the exact words that he needed to hear, were they not? Now, now there are three parts to Peter's rebuke. First, Peter corrects Simon's bad theology, right? And what does he say? May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Like I said before, not only was this a sin of pride, but this was a sin of ignorance as well. For Simon thought that he could purchase this power. And his theology was just not right. He, he didn't realize that the gifts of the Spirit are just that, right? They're gifts. They cannot be bought, bought they cannot be purchased. Rather, God doles them out as he sees fit. And they're only received by thankful hearts. Even so, this rebuke of Peter was using very, very strong language. For the Greek word that is translated as perish here is apoleon. And what it means, it means to be cut off or to, to suffer eternal ruin, eternal destruction. Basically, what... what what the, what the translators of the ESV are doing, they're, they're trying to be prim and proper for us. For what Peter really said to this man was this, to, to hell with your silver and to hell with you. That's a better translation. And, and these words were meant to, to shock Simon. They, they were meant to get his attention. And yet Peter was not finished, for there was more for him to correct for, for he would then challenge this man's heart, as well as his, his assumption that he would somehow be a leader within the church. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. You see, Simon still had this yearning for greatness deep within. He, he was still about himself and, and not about Christ. And that's not how a Christian should live, let alone a leader within God's church. We are to be about God's kingdom and not our own. And yet at that moment, Simon was about his own kingdom, was he not? For, for the kingdom that he once had, the, the kingdom that had grown through his magical practices was now gone. And this is why Peter said these words as well. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness 
and in the bond of iniquity. You see, Peter knew. He, he knew about this man's past. He, he knew about all that this man had lost. And I'm sure Peter realized the temptation that Simon was now under. Having once been great, God was now calling him to a life of lowliness. And, and Simon could either be bitter about what he lost, which would eventually manifest itself in, into sin, or he could humble himself and accept God's calling, a calling towards humility. And yet, like any good leader, Peter would not leave this man without any hope. And so he called him to repentance. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. True repentance is about the mercy of God, is it not? It's about a humbled heart that understands that it is in need of forgiveness. And that's the difference between the, the religions of this world and, and the Christian faith. For, for all these other religions, what do they focus on? They focus on one's own ability to get himself right. And yet the Christian faith is all about God's mercy. Maybe you are here today, and, and just like Simon, you have been caught up in this desire to build your own kingdom. That the focus of your life has been about your own greatness and not about God's greatness. Well, just like Peter, I'm, I'm here to tell you that you need to repent. You, you, you need to have your heart humbled as you go to the cross of Christ and, and seek his mercy. For, for a true Christian life is about God's glory and not your glory. And yet, and the, this is the ironic thing about it, because when God humbles you, God also pours out his grace upon you, and he extends to you his glory. It's something we don't expect, but it's something he does. Well, the question needs to be asked, would Simon's heart be humbled, right? Well, let's find out. Look at, look at verse 24. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. In a display of remorse, Simon asked Peter to pray for him, to, to pray for God's mercy. And this must have been an extremely difficult thing for Simon to do. For, for by asking Peter to pray for him, what he was really doing was he was submitting himself to the authority of the apostles. It would now be Peter who would be his spiritual leader. You see, in the past, he was always a spiritual leader. Now he needed to seek spiritual leadership. And it was in this submission that, that Simon was really letting go of his own desire of being great. He would now take a back seat to these apostles and, and surrender to God's authority. 
And that's what true repentance is, is it not? It's that change of heart where the pride of man decreases and God's glory increases. When you add this all up, what do we see in this story? We see this man who had a genuine faith in Jesus Christ and yet was still battling with his own flesh with his own desire to be great. And yet, he was fortunate, right? Because Peter came along, a man who was bold enough to rebuke him to his face. And this rebuke led to Simon's repentance as God humbled this man. And let me tell you this. We've been talking about signs of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, there's no greater sign that the Holy Spirit had fallen upon Simon than when God had brought him into this humbled repentance. And so, yes, the power of God that is called great had come to Simon. For it is only through the Spirit that there can be true repentance. And that's what it means to be a part of the kingdom. It's to have your heart humbled as you submit to Christ. It is to leave your own greatness behind and to be about God's greatness. It is to live a life of of repentance, knowing that, that your only hope lies with that man who suffered upon that cross. With that man who died for your sins. In order that that he might send to you his Holy Spirit. And so again, I urge you, turn from from your desire to be great and trust in this Jesus. Because if you do, then you will receive the power of his Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father, we are so, so thankful for your mercy. We know that that our hearts are not right and that we still battle with this desire to be great, with this desire to build our own kingdom. And that is why we need you. We need you right now. We need your Holy Spirit that he might work upon our hearts, that we might lay aside our own aspirations, our own longings for this greatness to be noticed. Help us to focus upon your glory. Help us to focus upon your Son, Jesus Christ. We we desire for him to be exalted in our hearts and not ourselves. Lord, turn our hearts to you. Help us to repent. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name.